0: Well, good morning uh, and welcome once again to Pillar Church of Jacksonville. I know what you guys are thinking right off the bat. We thought we were rid of you. We didn't see you first thing this morning, but I'm back. Nope, this is not April Fool's. So, yes, I am here and you will have to deal with me for about another 35, 40 minutes. Uh, But it is what it is, but it will be joyful. Again, thanks for being here. Uh, We are happy to see everyone here this morning. It's always good um, to see people continue to come. Uh, regardless of how you got here this morning, again, we, we're glad to see you. Uh, as Mike mentioned, I am Eddie, uh, for those of you who did not see me last week or who do not know me, uh, and I will be here with you this morning for a little while longer. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've had some really good messages coming from the book of John. Uh, we walked through 13, uh, we heard about Jesus' farewell discourse, uh, we went into 14, we heard about Jesus as the truth, the way, and the life, uh, we heard last week when uh, pastor JD preached talked about how the Holy Spirit the helper was going to come and help guide us and teach us in the things that we need to know to be in Christ um, and what we're going to see this morning in chapter 15 is Jesus is going to continue in that discourse but something different than we haven't seen uh, so far is this morning it's going to be more of a one-way conversation as we were reading through the other chapters you know it was a little bit of a conversation where Jesus would give out some wisdom and some instruction. The disciples would ask some questions and come back. But this morning, we're going to see more of a one-way conversation directly from Christ to his disciples. You know, when I read through chapter 15, I I get this picture in my mind of, you know, a father sitting down with his son, and he's sitting down with him. He's about to send his, his child off into the world, to college or whatever, and he says, man, I have got to make sure that this kid understands what is about to happen. You know, as as I think about it, you know, the conversation may look a little something like this. Now listen, I have taught you everything that I can, but now you have to decide if you will follow my instruction or live life as best as you see fit. You'll do well if you remember what I've told you, and I will be proud to call you my child. But know this, if you do things the way I have shown you, your so-called friends will turn on you. They don't care for my ways, and they won't like you if you obey what I've taught you. They don't love you as I do, so you cling to my words. Some will reject you, but everything will be all right in the end. This illustration is hopeful. You know, it's good. You know, Their the father is already saying, hey, I am for you. I, I care about you. I want you to do well. This is what any good parent desires for their kid. But there's a second illustration, and this is one that we hope that we don't have to have. I have given you the words you need for a good life. I have provided you with an example of how to live. I have come to you repeatedly, but you refuse to listen. You have dismissed those that have spoken on my behalf and hated their guidance. You have no love for me or for my instructions. Therefore, there is nothing more that I can do for you. So now, you must face the consequences of your decision. I have tried to set you on the right path. You could argue, if, not, if I had not tried to set you on the right path, you could argue that you didn't know any better. But now you have no excuse because you have seen my example and I've talked to you about these things. Man, these are some harsh words to sit in front of your child and tell them, I have told you what you need to do, and you have not listened. But this is exactly what we're going to see this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat that you're in close proximity somewhere where uh, you can use that Bible and take it with you when you leave as a gift from us. This morning, we're going to be reading from chapter 15 once again, starting in verse 1. And going pretty much to the end of the chapter, stopping in verse 25. So follow along with me. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, Dear Heavenly Father, this is a heavy passage for us to read, but it's a passage that we need all the same. Father, we thank you for the instructions from Christ that he gave to his disciples and that were handed down through us um, by your Holy Spirit, Father. We pray now, Father, that every heart would be open and receptive, that our our attentions would be focused on your word. Um, Father, I pray that everything I say, Father, would be, to your glory, that you will open the eyes of the people here, that my words will not be my own, but the words directly from your spirit and from your text, Father. Father, I thank you so much for for this opportunity to share your word for the salvation of those who do not know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is True Christians Cling to Christ. The illustration provided in 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 the beginning of the message had Two contrasting tones. At, the, at one, we see Jesus pleading with his disciples saying, listen to me, listen to my words, take notes, and go forth and do what I have commanded you to do. But then around verse 19 uh, through 25, we see the tone change. Uh, the new tone becomes one of a, a matter of fact, and when it goes there, it's a warning saying, the world will hate you, and they will hate you because they do not know me the main idea of this morning's message is this. Abiding in Christ bears fruit in a world that hates his people and his word. And I'll say it again. Abiding in Christ bears fruit in a world that hates his people and his word. As we move through this sermon this morning, there is two things I want to emphasize. The first is this. Abiding in Christ is an active display of love that produces fruit in the life of a Christian. Abiding in Christ is an active display of love that produces fruit in the life of a Christian. Number two, the world willingly rejects the word of God and hates those who proclaim it. The world willingly rejects the word of God and hates those who proclaim. You see, in and amongst ourselves, Christ knows that we can do nothing. There is no good in us, and everything that we do, our desires and our attitudes all shift from day to day, moment to moment, based on our situation. Our sensual hearts naturally draw us away from God, but God desires that we grow in both faith and in obedience. By this, we prove that we belong to him. So point one, abiding in Christ is an act of commitment to the uh, act of commitment of love, that produces fruit in the life of a Christian. If you were paying attention, you would notice that the illustration that provided really does go well with how we see Christ opening up the uh, passage to his uh, disciples. In the opening, Christ likens himself to the vine and God to the vine dresser. The vine sustains the branches, which in turn produce the fruit. The vine dresser, tends to the vine, ensuring that there is healthy growth of the fruit. So we see we have both Christ and we also have God working together to ensure that fruit is produced in the life of the believer. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now we know that the fruit that he's speaking of here refers to the fruit that we see in Galatians 5 are known as the fruit of the Spirit. But what does he mean in the context of this passage? Well, in the context of the passage, the fruit is good godly character and good godly conduct that every Christian must have in order to be called a Christian. That's what we desire. That's what we should be working toward. But we must recognize there are two different types of branches that we see in the passage. So my first question this morning to you is, what type of branch are you? So first off, are you a fruit-bearing branch? The branches that bear, uh, that bear fruit are the true Christians. True Christians seek to submit to Christ's authority. We look to obey Christ in love. We look to obey him uh, in his word. And we die daily to sin, and we actively love others. That is the mark of a true Christian. That is the character that is being developed as God and Christ works on us through his word and through his spirit. And we do this through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. If we don't stand on the faith of Christ, then we are not abiding his word. That is what a maturing Christian should be doing, abiding in the vine. Or the second branch we see is the one that is being taken away. So are you the other kind of branch? These are the branches that appear to be Christians. We call them unbelievers. The unbeliever blends in with the Christian on the surface, but their character lacks any real fruit. We see this all the time. People will come to church and read the scriptures and sing the songs, but there is no fruit, and there is no fruit because they are not truly in Christ. While maintaining that outward display, they look just like any other Christian would, but their behavior paints another story. What we need to understand is this is not the same as someone who is struggling with obedience. It's not the same as I'm a Christian, but I'm having issues with doubt. I'm having issues with fear and anxiety that I'm looking to do things in my own way. What this is, this is a Christian who has never truly accepted Jesus into their life. And so they are in disbelief. They are detached from the vine. Something else that we need to look at in the passage, the word abide appears 11 times in the first 17 verses. Just in the first 17 verses, we hear the word abide, uh, abide in me, Seven, uh, 11 times out of 17 verses. And there has to be significance, and here it is. Christians must be active, actively pursuing Christ-likeness. And I'll say that again. Christians must be actively pursuing Christ-likeness. You see, you can't if you're not pursuing Christ's likeness, then you need to question if you're a Christian. In the vines, we see, again, two contrasts. In verses 5 through 6, Jesus says, Jesus tells his disciples that if you have, you put your faith in me, you'll produce fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to understand is that apart from Christ, there is no way that we can create the type of character that he's looking for. We cannot bear fruit. But then he also tells them that anyone in me who is not bearing fruit will be taken away. God takes them away. And the reason that I, I kind of wish there was almost a, 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 a exclamation point after that, since if you're not bearing fruit, you'll be taken away. Because some people still don't understand the simple principle that, in, that is in verse 5 when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And that simple principle is this. You can't be a Christless Christian. It's an impossibility. It will not work. Without Christ, you cannot be a Christian. So what does that mean for us? That means that if we call ourselves Christians, we should be actively pursuing Christlikeness. But we also cannot discount what it says in verse 6. And it says, again, you will be taken away and your destination is the fire. Jesus is very clear, if you're not bearing fruit, then your destination is the fire. So I have to ask the hard question this morning again. Are you pruned for fruit or being or taken away to the fire? This is a very serious question. And this is one of those ones where it, this is a topic that we cannot be self-deceived on. If you're not bearing fruit in Christ, then you're being prepared, you're being taken away for the fire. And that fire is hell. Only in Christ can we create the strength of character that God desires and honor him. But Jesus also says in verse 8, by this God is glorified. God is glorified when we produce fruit. He's glorified when we prove that we are Christ's disciples. And this is a good thing. Jesus goes on to say, and we will get joy, his joy. This isn't the I'm happy joy. I just got something I wanted joy. This is joy that lasts after the emotions have subsided. This is the joy that Christ gives us so that we can, as Christians, persevere and continue on to be obedient regardless of the trials and the circumstances that we are going through. This is what it means to be a true Christian, that we abide in divine, that we abide in Christ. But I understand this morning that there's a question that must be answered and that question is but how do I know if I'm bearing fruit it's a good question how do we know if we're bearing fruit which brings me to another question for you which is this how's your love life how do we know if we're bearing fruit the question back is how is your love life first Corinthians 13 4-6 says this love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do we look like this? Does your life of love look like that? Again, How is your love life? Love appears 10 times in the first 19 uh, verses of the passage. Jesus tells his disciples in 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this isn't the first time we've seen this. This is repeated, carried over from chapter 13, where Jesus says, a new commandment I have you, that you will love one another. Obviously, there is, again, some significance here in why Jesus is repeating himself to his his disciples. One, the psalm would just say we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to be irritable. We're prone to be resentful of those that we come in contact with. But Jesus says, Jesus says, love one another. So if you want to know if you're bearing fruit, it's how you're interacting with the people around you. Are you patient in the line at the grocery store when, when the, the person in front of you has 30 items in the 10-item-or-less line? Are you, are you irritable? Are you, are you about to push them out of the way? Do you, you know, huff and do you puff and you run to the next line? Sometimes, maybe. I, I do. Um, what about at 3.30 in traffic on Western Boulevard on a payday Friday? when everybody's trying to get to the bank or coming from the bank or since they're going through that one and only main street in Jacksonville that everyone seems to congregate on? How do you feel during that time? If you're like me, you pull over and you go home most of the time. Uh, Not very good with uh, patience, but we're working on it. Or here's one that I think some of us will be able to relate to. When you get that tapping on your heart from the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit quietly reminds you, like, hey, we haven't spent much time together lately. Hey, you got a minute? Do you ignore it? Or do you submit, sacrificing your me time for some time with the Spirit? See, this is important. This is what Christians are supposed to do. However, this is not always how the outcome is. And we know this. You see, our fruits are developed in our trials and hardships. We cannot have one without the other. You know, there's, there, you know, there's a ton of you know, good model, um, slogans like no pain, no gain, uh, hard work builds character. And we know all those to be true. You know, if, you're gonna, if there's, something's really worth having, you have to work for it. But the good thing is God comes alongside us. He works it through us. So this is why the Christian must be abiding in the vine because through Christ we can receive from God what he so desires, and what we so desperately need. If it is your desire to be a true Christian, you should welcome this. God doesn't ask for our obedience begrudgingly. He doesn't want us to be angry. The test from God proves that you have the Holy Spirit and that he is developing your character. This is good. We should embrace this, and we should welcome it. So knowing this, how should you respond? Well, I would I would tell you, in the words of Paul, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold for me. What Paul is saying is, if you're a Christian, you press in, you press into your trials, you press into your struggles, you embrace God as He embraces you, and He changes you. Without that, we cannot say that we are true Christians. If we shrink away from our hardships and our trials and instead of turning to god turning to jesus then we cannot say that we are true christians but if you'll notice i've spoken mostly about true christians but also if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted christ there's there's something for you as well this is a time where there needs to be some honest self-examination why have i not accepted christ and why am I still going through trials? Well, we just said there will be trials regardless. But how sad is it that in your midst of your trials you have nothing to lean on? The bottom line is detached from Christ. We, are, we subject ourselves to the desires of the flesh, and we cannot be and we cannot be drawn and swayed by his word but into the world. Now and I'll say that again, I think I think it bears a little repeating. Apart from Christ, we cannot be drawn to his word. But instead, we're drawn to the world. The world, when we're drawn to the world, we know that that creates corruption in us. We know that the world is not where we're going to be. Nothing in the world can produce the fruit and the character that God desires. So the fact is this. Christians will love Christ and submit to his authority. Plain and simple, if you're a Christian, you submit to Christ and his authority. There's no other way. However, the world cannot accept Christ because their love is for the things of the world. Either you're of Christ or you're of the world. And if you're of the world, we know because we came from the world that we love the things of the world. It's that simple. God's word convicts them, so the world rejects his people. When we take the word to the world, it's not us they're rejecting, it is Christ. And this brings me to my final point. The world willingly rejects the word of God and hates those who proclaim it. So, if you remember from the second illustration where we we're talking about the son that was about to go off into college, the father's guy, he's sitting down with the, with the child, uh, we'll just say the son, and he's about to send him off. And, and as he's doing it, EO, he you can tell that there's something that it's just not setting right with the father. And the reason why is because the son is not listening. He knows that his child that he's about to release and send off into the world, he knows what a waste this kid. He's like, man, I, I see all of these things coming for you. I've told you how to avoid them, but you haven't listened. And there's there's almost a... A sense of, man, just disheartening that the father has. But he knows that there's nothing else that he can do. And this is kind of uh, where, where Jesus is. He knows that he can't change the world prior to sending his disciples out there. Yes, Jesus came to save the world, but he knows that his disciples are going to experience the hatred of the world. In verse 18, he warns them, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus knows this. They hated me. They hated my words. Even in 1 John, in John chapter 1, it says he came into the world that he created, but they did not receive him. The world did not receive Jesus. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We know this to be true. When we go and we proclaim God's word, the world does not accept it, and it does not accept us. But if we look at that word hate, that hate, that word hate is a very, very strong word. You know, when I say I hate someone, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of intention behind that word. Uh, but even more so, if we think about the word hate, as Jesus uses it in John, 1 John 3.15, Jesus compares hate to murder. You know, he says, hate, uh, if you hate your brother. It's your murderer. That is strong words um, when we say that we hate someone. But Jesus uses this word as how the world relates to God, to the God of creation. So my next question for you is this. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, do you not know that you need a Savior? This should be a word for all of us who have heard John up to this point and still have not had our hearts changed. We need to know we need a Savior. But the question that that get as I transition from the first part of the passage to the second part, and we hear Jesus say the world hates me. The, the first thing I have to ask myself is how could anyone hate Jesus? I mean, if you've been following along, you know, since about the middle of John, how can you possibly hate Jesus? I mean, think about it. Jesus, he was a good guy, right? He did a lot of good things. I mean, Jesus, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he raised the dead, restored sight, walked on water. I mean, in chapter thirteen, Jesus washed his disciples' nasty feet. How how can you hate Jesus? I mean, show, guys, show of hand. How many of you guys can get your wife to wash your feet? Exactly, exactly. Everybody's being honest. I mean, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and if you have to, if you think about it, and I, I think you know, Jonathan gave a wonderful illustration you know there was, if you've ever been to any desert you know especially you know over in the Middle East where that the dust I mean the, the sand is, it's not really sand it's like dust and it clings to everything right they had open toe shoes so if you can imagine that kind of stuff caked onto your feet you know and how nasty that was to have someone come and wash it off for you that was big time you know that's, that's you know man talk about showing an example of being a servant and a good guy Jesus killed it. He nailed it, knocked it out of the park. But also, I, I want to make a, a correlation to that into what Jesus does for us. Our sin makes us nasty and filthy. It clings to us, but Jesus washes it away. We, Ray, we heard in the song this morning, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is exactly what I'm talking about here. Jesus washes our nasty, filthy souls of that nasty, stinky, awful sin that we accumulate as we walk through this life. We need to understand that. But, you know, I get it. I mean, if we're going to be honest, we will understand that the gospel is not attractive. I mean, it's just not. You know, as a person who came from being sinful, most of our lives, like most of us have, we understand the gospel is not attractive to us. You know, saying repent of your sin and turn to God is not attractive. It is not going to draw in. People who are worldly. It is not as appealing that says, just do it, have it your way, or do you. That is not appealing to us. And the problem is not because we're telling people that they're wicked, not because we're telling people that they need forgiveness for their sins. The problem is this we want what we want, how we want it, and when we want it. That's the problem. It's not the gospel, it's us, it's our hearts. And Jesus gets to this in verse 21. He says, the world hates him because they do not know God. The world hates Jesus because they do not know God. And they don't know God because they don't know his word. And they can't have God. They can't have Jesus because they don't truly know God. And we need to understand that no that he's talking about. That's not a, yeah, you know, I know God. the, the, The quotation mark, you know, the air quotes, I know God. Yeah, I've heard about him. You know, I've seen his name. I can spell it for you. I can tell you where you could probably find him at if you go to church. But it's not the same as having a relationship with God. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You know, so again, you know, the, the question is, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever and you've never built a relationship with God, do you know God or do you have a relationship with God? That is what is important. But also this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1, 19-21. Paul says their hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened because they turned away from God, and they turned away from Christ that could save them. But as I said earlier, this is foolish thinking. You cannot be a Christless Christian. Jesus further explains to disciples that it's their guilt. It's our guilt. This, the guilt of our sins are what keep us from accepting God's word. Our sin, as I said in the beginning, turns us away from the gospel. It turns us away from God because it convicts us. But now that Jesus has come, there is no excuse for, their, for sin. He makes it clear in verses 22 to 24 this. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they, have, now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated me and my father. So first, let's address what Jesus is not saying. I think this is important. Jesus is not saying that if he had not come, there would be no sin. I think we would be foolish to think that, well, without Jesus, there would be no sin. There would be sin. Genesis chapter 3 clearly outlines that there was sin, and that is a reason why Jesus came. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. They are guilty of their sin because they reject me. They're guilty because they reject me as their only means of salvation. That is the sin that they are guilty of. Just a couple weeks ago, Mike Delarga gave a, a sermon on Jesus as the truth, the way, and the life from John 14. That is what Jesus is saying. I came into the world that you may sa- be saved, but you rejected me. That is your sin. You rejected me. So again, having heard all this, Having listened to all this and still sitting there, po- hopefully pondering this in your mind, how do I respond? I asked Mike this morning as he read through Isaiah 50 to emphasize verses uh, 10 and 11. And I did that for a reason. And the reason is this for those who fear and obey God, they have eternal life. If you fear and obey God, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, You have eternal life. But for those who do not, who have chosen to go their own way, they go to eternal torment. That is what it says at the end of Isaiah 50. If I have not put my trust in God, if I have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, then I am headed to eternal torment. I'm headed to hell. That is the clarity of the message. So if you are here this morning and you are an unbeliever, this is specifically for you. It is time that you realize that as an unbeliever who has not put their trust in Jesus Christ, your sin separates you from God, not just now, but for eternity. And the only way that you can escape the wrath that has been restored has been stored up for you at the day of judgment is to accept his grace and his mercy. mercy, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian, it's simple. Abide. Abide. Remain steadfast in Christ as you live in a world that willingly rejects his word and hates those who proclaim it. That's what we do as Christians. This has been a lot for this morning. I know. uh, It was a lot as I was going through it. Uh, But I want to close this morning with this. The world cannot accept the word of God because it is governed by the flesh. But obedience to the flesh is always disobedience to God because, again, as I've said before, our flesh always takes us away, pulls us from the things of God. Even our attention, our time, our treasures, everything about the flesh is sinful and in rejection and in rebellion to a holy God. But God wants us to be transformed. God seeks to have us transformed as Christians. He works with us to have us transformed as Christians. And, and this, this is the beauty of sanctification, right? Sanctification calls us into a partnership with God. So as we seek to obey Christ and to love him through obedience, God gives us his grace. The Holy Spirit comes along besides us and walks us through the process of sanctification. It's a great thing. This is what we need to be doing to become more like Christ. God is actively working to complete his good work. We know this. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Know this. If you're a Christian Christian, And God has started His good work in you. He is faithful to complete it. Faithful to complete it. You may be here this morning again. You still have not accepted God, accepted God as your, uh, accepted Christ as your Savior. My my only appeal to you is this: receive His mercy and His grace. You know, when, when you came in this morning, uh, you know Mike talked about filling out the co- the uh, connection card. You know, I, I encourage you take that card, fill it out, dropping it back. And you know, no, we're not going to see it. You know, the elders will see it. But take that card, fill it out, and you know, it, drop right on that. Hey, I want to talk about accepting Christ. You know, make it known like this is what I need to do. Drop it back in that box. Let someone talk to you about what this means for you. I mean, the the the, the idea is that. God will bring you to a right relationship with himself through his son before it's too late. you know and if there's any one thing that I could encourage you with is this if you're an unbeliever. with men it is impossible with God all things are possible. But for the Christian we also struggle. we also have trials and hardships. So I would encourage you in the words of Paul, gird up your loins and get ready for work. That's it. if you're a Christian, Gird up your loins and get ready for work. These are the words of Paul. But I don't want to relieve you without ways that you can do that. So number one, start with increasing your Bible reading and your study time. We cannot know God's word if we don't read God's word. We cannot obey God's word if we don't know God's word. Increase your study time and your Bible time. Look for ways to serve. As we serve God, it draws us to God and away from the world. Seek to serve God. And finally, seek discipling and discipleship opportunities. Now, look for those other mature Christians that can help you grow, help you grow in your faith. And in turn, look for young Christians that you can help grow in their faith. And as we do that, the entire body is strengthened so that we all will carry and develop the strength of character that God desires for us to have. Amen. Amen.